Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. Hey everybody, it's Matt Bowles and I am starting off this episode with something I have never done before. I am offering five people a completely free one-hour strategy session with me to talk about a topic of your choice, whatever is your biggest challenge or obstacle or frustration or fear or thing that you want to learn more about or thing that you want to overcome to get you from where you are now to where you want to be, whether that's in your real estate investing journey, your entrepreneurial journey, your digital nomad world travel journey. I am offering five people a one-hour strategy session with me about that particular topic that is most important to you that you would like to strategize with me about. Now, the reason I'm doing this is, first of all, because I would like to interact more with you. A podcast is a medium where I do a lot of talking and you do a lot of listening. And I would love to interact more with you and learn more about you and have more of a connection with my audience. I would also like to offer this because I want to give back and thank you for listening to the show, for subscribing to the show and hopefully sharing the show and letting other people know about it and all of that. So for fans and subscribers of The Maverick Show, I want to give something back to you and deliver some value in a more customized way. And the third reason is because I want to better understand the challenges and obstacles that the listeners of the show are going through, right? So that I can tailor my content to provide even more value to you in the future. So I want to understand, you know, why you're listening to The Maverick Show and where you are right now in your journey and what your most important issues are that you're trying to learn about so that I can create more content around those issues moving forward, right? So this is education for me as well, right? So for all those reasons, I'm offering five people a one-hour video strategy session with me. And it's going to be for the first five people that send me a direct message on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. That's at M-A-T-T-B-O-W-L-E-S-M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K. And just shoot me a direct message on Instagram. Let me know that you're interested in the Maverick Show strategy session. And we will correspond from there. And by the way, if you're hearing this and you think, oh, I'm definitely not going to be in the first five, like I probably missed it already, just shoot me a DM anyways, because I'd love to say hello to you anyways. And, you know, I may end up 
kind of doing a waiting list or, or something like that. So I definitely want to interact with folks and we'd love to hear from you. So just DM me on Instagram if you're interested at Matt Bowles Maverick. And with that, let's get in to the episode. This is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Victoria Puzic. She is the co-founder of The Work Travel Summit a space for remote professionals, entrepreneurs, and digital nomads to discuss disruptive ideas about the world's future and imagine work and lifestyle in the new normal. Originally from Russia, she has a background in educational tech and events organization, and she is now a full-time digital nomad with no permanent base and has traveled to over 55 countries. Victoria is also the co-founder of Co-Life Home, a co-living experience that brings together an intentional community for one-month stays in epic locations around the world. Victoria is passionate about promoting a global citizenship mentality, the future of work, self-organizing communities, and living a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. Victoria, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Hi, Matt. I am so excited to have you here. The last time we saw each other, I feel like it was in Cape Town in 2019. And it was before that was Brazil in 2018. So I'm super excited that we are connecting here tonight and that we have agreed to make this a wine night. So let's start off by talking about where we are today and what we are drinking. I'll go first. I am actually recording this from the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina on the east coast of the United States. And I have just opened a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon from Chile, and it is tasting very nice. But where are you today, Victoria, and what are you drinking? I'm joining in from the Dominican Republic, and I'm having my Argentinian Malbec today. So pretty neighboring countries. I love it. Yes, both South American New World wines. I have a lot of love for the Argentine Malbecs for sure. So I'm super excited because you're in the DR And I have never been to the Dominican Republic. I have a lot of Dominican friends. It's been very high on my list for a long time. I have not yet been. So please tell me about the DR. How is it and how has your experience been? It is a paradise to start off. And I think one of the very few countries which are very welcoming and open for tourists at the moment. So I was lucky to take advantage of that and relocate here just over a month ago from Baja California, Mexico. And the transition was amazing in a way that it's tropical climate. I miss the freshness of air and the different like Caribbean style ocean because in Baja, it was mostly desert. Uh, It was beautiful. It was fantastic. But I really, really enjoy this transition and different landscape. That's amazing. I want to hear about Mexico too, because you spent most of the pandemic in Mexico. And I've been following you on social media. You guys were hitting up some Mexican towns that were, you know, not necessarily the main tourist spots, right? 
Tell me about how that experience was for you guys. Yeah, those towns and little villages are not on anybody's maps. So the experience was was great in a way that uh, we landed in Baja California about February last year when COVID was just hitting the grounds and most of the foreigners were leaving back to the U.S. or Canada because we were based in this small town uh, called La Ventana on the Baja California shore, which is famous for its kitesurfing destination. That's why there are lots of expats always uh, sticking around during the winter season. And when the pandemic happened, everyone rolled back homes because it was uncertain. It wasn't clear if the border is going to be open. But we, my partner and I, we have the rule is like, if we don't have a place better to go to, as we are at the moment, we don't go. And Mexico seemed to be a good place to stay over this craziness. That's why we decided to spend a few months back then and actually eventually stayed for the whole year in, in Baja California, exploring it's all over from south to north, heading back to the like almost Californian border and again down uh, in a jeep through crossroads, visiting really tiny villages full of fishermen. Yeah, the places which are not on the map for anybody and just going fully off-road, camping in this desert beaches and uh, having fresh seafood from fishermen, just really exploring and living local life. I'd love to be back. And that was amazing. That is awesome. And you did get to do some more kite surfing because I remember when you and I were in Brazil together, which was back in the end of 2018, we were in Jericho Cuadra and you were doing some kite surfing then. I feel like that was maybe the earlier part of your sort of kite surfing journey, but I would love to hear about how that sport has been for you. Yeah, that was a long journey of me stepping out of my comfort zone for a couple of years. It was my first extreme sport I decided to take on because I was very determined and I had zero experience with board sports. That was one of the biggest challenges in my life, to be honest. And I consider myself pretty fit and I used to pick up sports very easily. I used to play basketball, volleyball, riding bicycle, running a lot, like doing all the heat trainings, like yoga. So everything was easy. But kitesurfing was one of those challenges which took me a while to get used to. And most of all, it was a big mental challenge for me. So I was super afraid of the wind, of the kite power. And yeah, it took me about a year to actually start riding and be not really afraid of the kite and the consequences which would happen to me because I always had this fear of hurting myself, hurting others. It was psychologically very challenging experience. So when we were in Brazil, I was still learning and it's been about half a year of me starting to learn. And I think when I actually made most of progress was in La Ventana when we were relocated to Mexico. So having lots of accidents on the beach with the kite, yeah, made me feel that it's something I have to conquer. And it took me a while, but I put all my determination together and actually kept doing it, uh, falling and failing over and over again. But I think because my partner is a kite surfer, I had a pretty strong motivation to keep doing it and keep learning. And when one moment it literally clicked and I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is so fulfilling and so empowering because 
when I let go of the control and actually started listening to the wind and to the ocean and to letting it flow with me instead of trying to fight in against it, uh, things have changed. And I think it was a pretty good metaphor for me in terms of life, like stop fighting the, the circumstances when you can't win. Just uh, go with the flow, listen to the clues, trust the process, and things will turn out beautifully. Now it's my favorite things to do. So it, it just determines where we go. Like we follow the wind nowadays. That's so amazing. Well, I want to go all the way back and get your backstory because you were born and raised in Russia. And I got to tell you, I went to Russia for the first time in 2019. And since I came back from Russia, I have been talking about it. I have been trying to put all my podcast guests onto Russia and letting everybody know that they have to go and visit Russia. So I would love to hear just from your perspective, growing up in Russia, you've lived in a number of different places in Russia. And I would just love to hear a little bit about your upbringing there and also how your interest in world travel developed as you were growing up there. First of all, thanks for promoting Russia as a destination. It definitely needs more promoters like you, Matt, uh, because those who actually go there, like have the best experience and just keep telling about it because Russia, unfortunately, is still quite quite a close country in terms of visa regime. And like it really takes efforts to get there. Right. So back to my childhood and story, I was born in Kaliningrad. It's a half million people town in the far west of Russia, which is actually an exclave and has an interesting placement on the map because it's situated between Poland and Lithuania as a tiny territory on the Baltic Sea, separate from big country itself. And I think the location and the history of this place determined a lot my desire to travel and see the world because it wasn't really a part of Russia while I was growing up. I was kind of living in Europe. And I think the first time I went outside of this region when I was six years old, it was to Poland, not to any other Russian town or region. So the history of this place, I think, is also fascinating because it came to Russia after Second World War. And it was announced to be a new territory for the USSR population to go and leave because it used to be a German territory. So it got repopulated back in 1940s after the war with uh, people from all over USSR. So I think the ones who came down there were like pretty adventurous <laughs> to start off. So I definitely have some genes flowing around of people who are like easygoing and definitely ready to move around. And uh, yeah, that, that determined my, <laughs> my future lifestyle and my interest to go and travel the world a lot. And I grew up in this town. My family still lives there. My parents are around. And uh, the best thing I love to do with them is just meeting in new countries and traveling with me. I love that. And I know you've also lived as an adult in Moscow and in St. Petersburg. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about that because I got to go to both Moscow and St. Petersburg. Both of them just blew me away, exceeded my expectations. But I would love to hear from you from living there. How was that like? And also, why should people definitely go and check out those cities? So I moved to St. Petersburg to study in university when I was 17 and uh, spent about four years living around. I think that's the most beautiful city in Russia. And you would definitely agree with me here. It's called Northern Venice. It has a lot of rivers. It has a lot of channels. It has this amazing 
empire-ish look to the whole architecture. It's gorgeous. I don't know how much money they spent to build the city in the times of Peter the Great who did it, but you just walk around the streets and you think you are in a movie. You are in this like emperor times because everything is so monumental and so beautiful and full of gold, literally like full of gold and marble and it's just fascinating and has a lot of culture. So the Hermitage is the museum, which is similar to Louvre, the Paris Louvre is situated there and it has a very rich collection of art from all over the world. So whoever loves art, whoever is in love with like, 18, 19th century times, please come over. You will not regret. You'll be very surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's completely insane. The Hermitage, like the art that's inside of it is one thing, but the actual architecture of the building and the rooms where the art is, and you're just walking through this, it's a palace, right? The Winter Palace. I mean, it's just like mind-blowing. I couldn't even believe it. Absolutely. And that could bring us to Moscow, which is also a very beautiful, a very cosmopolitan town. It's a capital, like 20 million people live there. So you could find absolutely anything you would like in a big city like that. I loved it. I loved it both. Both cities have different energies. And I think if you would compare it two big cities in the U.S., I would say Moscow reminds me more of New York and St. Petersburg, probably more of a San Francisco type of vibe, if I could compare those two. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I had heard definitely before I went that St. Petersburg is really where you want to spend the majority of your time and less time in Moscow, more time in St. Petersburg. So I did that. And I did St. Petersburg first. And every day I was in St. Petersburg, I was like, this is unbelievable. I mean, on every level, right? I mean, some of the most extraordinary coffee shops I've ever been to. I mean, just everything I was doing there was just kept blowing my mind. And I'm like, wow, this is great. I'm so glad that I chose to spend this much time in St. Petersburg. But then I got to Moscow and I had reduced the amount of time that I planned to spend in Moscow. And I was just, and Moscow also blew me away. I was like, man, I wish I had spent more time here. Like I got to come back and spend more time in Moscow. What a truly spectacular city. It also has some of the top rated restaurants in the world. I think when I was there, it had at least two of the top 50 restaurants in the world were in Moscow. And so a whole crew of us went, we went to White Rabbit was one of them that we went to. And it was just like this unbelievable experience. I mean, like the, the whole everything. I mean, my whole time in Russia was really spectacular. And then I would say, actually, even despite how amazing my time was in Moscow and St. Petersburg, probably the highlight that I've been talking about the most with people is that I then went on the Trans-Siberian Railway from Moscow all the way across Siberia. And we went on the Trans-Mongolian line. So we didn't go all the way to Vladivostok. That one takes you through Siberia, you know, you go through like Kazan and Novosibirsk and Irkutsk, and then you go out to Lake Baikal. And we went all around Lake Baikal, which is, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that alone is a mind blowing experience to see Lake Baikal. It's like the oldest lake, the deepest lake, the biggest lake in the entire world. It's unbelievable. And then we veered down across the Mongolian border and went down to uh, Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, which is where we ended. So basically, as an American, you can get a 30-day visa. And so I timed it to the day I wanted to spend all 30 days in Russia and optimize it. So I did two weeks between Moscow and St. Petersburg. And then the train 
ride because we were getting off in each of these cities and spending a couple of days in the different Siberian towns. That took us about 14 days to do that and then get over the Mongolian border. But what a truly spectacular experience. Yeah, Matt, you were lucky to experience that. And I'm so glad that you went beyond the normal tourist road of visiting just two main cities. It's really unique. And I hope everybody and more people can do that. You know what else about Russia? And I was not there in the correct season for this, but I want to put this on people's map as well. And you said that you grew up playing basketball in Russia. Women's basketball in Russia is taken so amazingly seriously. All of the WNBA basketball players in the United States that are by far the best basketball players in the world, all of them, (laughs) like all the top players, go and play in Russia. I mean, they play in Europe in general, but the best of the best players go and play in Russia, right? And the Russian leagues, I mean, they're out in like these Siberian teams and like Ekaterinia and like these types of places have like the best players in the world. And I remember this was like back in, I think it was 2015, the number one WNBA player who was the number one player in the world was Dana Tarasi. And her Siberian team basically said to her, we value you so much. We are willing to buy out your contract for the next season of the WNBA and pay your full Russian league salary, plus pay you your full WNBA salary for you to sit out the WNBA season so you don't get injured before your next Russian season. This is literally the best player in the world. And she took it and she sat out the 2015 season because they just valued her so much in Russia because women's basketball is such a preeminent thing. It just blew my mind. It was so amazing. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing. That's a really cool story. Yeah, so I was hoping, like, I had this vision of me taking the Trans-Siberian Railway and going through Siberia and getting off and being able to go see, like, professional women's basketball in Russia and actually see these players that I know, because I watched them in the WNBA in the U.S., actually see them play in Russia, right? Like, before the fans and stuff like that. But unfortunately, when I took the train, I was not there during the season, right? So they weren't there playing at the time that I went through. But I would love to go and do it again and actually go to some women's basketball games in Russia. I mean, what a spectacular experience that would be. That would be fun. And talking about seasons, uh, just another note, like, definitely, if you go to Russia, please plan it for summer. I wouldn't say that winter is bad, but it's cold, it's nasty, and you will definitely have more fun during summertime. So just to accommodate for that. Yeah, to be honest, everybody has this impression, I feel like, or at least most people in the US that I talk to, that Siberia is like this frozen tundra, like all the time type place. I just want to say, I went through Siberia in September. It was the month of September that I did the train, and I was wearing a short sleeve shirt the entire time. And I was completely comfortable. The weather was beautiful. It was lovely, right? So whether you go in the summer or even into the fall or the spring or whatever, it's lovely to go. And what a spectacular time. And I actually did the trip with a whole bunch of nomads. It was an organized program called the Nomad Train and organized by these Russian nomads. And so it was a whole, probably 30 of us from like all over the world came, you know, from Europe and the US and all these different places. And uh, it was organized by Russian nomads and we went all the way across Siberia. And in each of the towns that we stopped, First of all, we had Russian folks with us, right? The people that were organizing the Nomad Train, which is important because they speak zero English on the Trans-Siberian Railway. 
And then in each of the towns, they had arranged for local people that are born and raised in those towns to show us around and hang out with us and all that kind of stuff. So it was a really local experience. It was really a spectacular way to see Russia. So I'll link that up in the show notes if anybody's interested in uh, jumping on the nomad train and, you know, going to see Russia. Cause I just, it's been one of my top recommendations for the last couple of years since I did it. Awesome. Sounds good. So let's talk a little bit about how your world travel adventures began. So after you lived in St. Petersburg, you went to university, then you lived in Moscow. Talk about how you then decided to move out of Russia, where you went and what the next steps were on your nomad journey. So after I graduated my university, I had a very strong idea that I want to experience living abroad and not only living, but working and uh, having this good career experience, professional growth. And it took me about a year to find a job of my dreams back then. It's worth saying that while I was studying, I was a part of this student organization called ISEC, which was a window for me towards this international crowd of volunteering opportunities, traveling the world, meeting people. I was traveling to different international conferences. And that's the place and the organization which helped me actually start speaking English. Before I was 18, I could not speak English, believe it or not. So, of course, I had like a very basic idea of the language which we study at school as another subject, but obviously no practice, no actual speaking, just like some grammar rules. And only because I started working with these international students who, are coming, who were coming over to St. Petersburg, I organized trips for them forcing myself to speak English. That's how I could actually pick up the language. And obviously that changed my life because I could apply for jobs abroad. I could start like grow professionally in this area. And that's how I moved and found my job in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur. That's how I joined the educational organization called Mindvalley. It's an online learning platform which teaches you skills you don't learn at school or university. So it's kind of like life skills. If you want to learn meditation, if you want to learn uh, and improve your memory or public speaking or nutrition. So I was very passionate back then about education and changing the way we learn. So I was super excited to go um, to Kuala Lumpur, obviously for another reason, because like I was moving to a different side of the world, getting exposed to absolutely different culture. And I haven't been to Asia before that in Southeast Asia before that. And I was super duper excited because uh, it was a one way ticket. And like, yeah, I knew I'm going to get a job, but I have zero idea what Malaysia is about, what Kuala Lumpur is about. It was a cultural shock and bomb and wonder everything blend together. So that's what made me be so excited about exploring even more. So I want to hear about your reflections on KL. I have spent probably four months in Kuala Lumpur. And I would love to hear about your reflections on it, especially as you lived there, you know, for an extended period, because you lived there for years. So as you got that level of familiarity and immersion into the culture, what are your reflections on Kuala Lumpur? Mm, I would give even broader reflection on Malaysia in general, because Kuala Lumpur is one of those big Asian towns, right? Like you could compare it to Bangkok, you can compare it to Singapore in a way. It was wonderful to be there as an expat because everything is quite affordable. I leveled up my quality of life immediately coming from Russia, where everything is mediocre in a way like people can afford living in terms of salaries and uh, the quality of life. So just in comparison with the quality of life I could get in Kuala Lumpur for the same money, it was very different and obviously is an upgrade. 
for me. And I was in my early 20s. I was like blown away. Do I live in a condo with like a swimming pool? Oh my God, I can take a cab every day and I don't have like to have a huge wealth behind my my back to afford that. And I can eat in the restaurant every day and I can explore the country. So it was like magical period of my life when I felt like, okay, like I do love my quality of life here (laughs) and I want to keep it this way. So that was a good start. And Kuala Lumpur has some of the best food on the planet of Earth. I mean, it is one of my top food cities on the planet that I would, I mean, I would put it up there with any other city you want to put up there. I would put KL up there. And the amazing thing about it, too, is that the city is pretty much divided. It's about one third you know, indigenous Malay, about one third Chinese and about one third Indian, mostly from South India, actually, I I think are where most of the residents are from. And so the food, you have all of those types of food, which are like three of the best types of food in the world. And they're all in one city. And it's super inexpensive and super outrageously good. So I just like ate my way through that city like the whole time I was there. I couldn't even believe it. It was amazing. I gained so much weight living in Malaysia for the first year just because of that. I couldn't withstand the temptation of eating all this amazing nasi limaks and Indian like tamale food. Like, ah, it was so good. So I would correct you here. I think this is the best place for food on the planet. Not one of the best. (laughs) Fair enough. I accept your clarification on that. So from there, after you spent your time in KL, and you worked at your job and all of that. How did you decide that you wanted to become a digital nomad and become an itinerant world traveler and you know, give up your permanent base and travel around the world and live in all kinds of epic places? I'm curious about what that decision-making process was like and then how you achieved that, what that transition was like. So while being based in Kuala Lumpur. I still traveled a lot around Southeast Asia because Kuala Lumpur is a fantastic uh, spot to travel from with like uh, Air Asia as the cheap uh, airlines. And I also was going back to Europe every summer to visit my family and friends. So I was always itchy to go travel. So I wouldn't spend like more than one month in Kuala Lumpur at one time. So I was always trying to switch to go for like short trips and come back. And I always wanted to try this idea, okay, what if I just have one-way ticket? How is it going to feel like? So it was the spring 2018 when my lease in the apartment was coming to an end. And I was planning to go to Europe anyway because we had one big event coming in Estonia and I was planning to visit my friends and family back in Russia. And I... I packed all my stuff, I sorted my friend's place and came back to Europe for summer. And after this trip and after having a wonderful time in Estonia, uh, where we ran this like one month long event, I met my partner who was traveling the world back then already for about two years. And we spent some time in Portugal and I was like, okay, hey, time to go back to the office, to my life in Kuala Lumpur. And that's how we flew back to Malaysia. He joined me uh, on this adventure and I'm back in KL. I'm going back to the office. And one day he's just popping the question like, oh, what's holding you back here? Like, why don't you just go full remote and, and start traveling with me? And I'm like, this is the question I was looking for <laughs> to give me this <laughs> push to finally 
fulfill my dream and to fill my idea of becoming fully nomadic. I'll be honest, it was a little scary because I did want to do it by myself, but I wasn't always sure like how this like solo way, if it's going to work for me. I was like, okay, he's done that before. Let me just join him on a journey. If our relationship not going to work, like who cares? I can always come back to Kuala Lumpur. So I wasn't thinking in a way that like, okay, I'm going to go only with him. So I was kind of like, okay, he could be a support system like while I'm transitioning to this lifestyle and then if something doesn't work like I'll just continue myself not a problem and the hard part I think for me psychologically was to actually go and talk to my boss because at that point I was a manager of expansion department I used to manage the 20 people team and that's the role which requires you to be in the office let's be honest right it's hard to manage the team while half of the team is in your office half of the team is in different place in Estonia in my case but I was so excited that this opportunity is kind of right here and I can just go and travel and it would be an easy transition in a way so I went to my boss I was very nervous I thought of every possible scenario of her saying no or like, no, you can't do it. And then I'm like, oh my God, what I'm going to do? I wouldn't find any other job so quickly. So I was terrified. And I remember walking into our office, like white walls, like all these things at the same place, whiteboard, like everything kind of felt different because I was so <laughs> tense. And um, I asked her this question. I asked her if I can go fully remote because I always wanted to travel the world and I always wanted to explore and have a one-way ticket. And she only asked me back the following. She asked me if I think I could manage it, if I could keep managing my work, if I could do it. And I think, yes, I could. I think I could do it. And then she's like, okay, go. So it was so much easier than I thought. So she was very supportive. And she told me uh, that, yeah, if that's what you want, please, please go ahead. And the transition happened super quickly. I literally took a week to get rid of all my stuff accumulated for like many years living in Malaysia. I just gave everything away. I threw some things away. I just completely got rid of everything and uh, kept only one carry-on bag which was a challenge for me. And I know, Matt, you're also traveling like super light and minimalistic. So imagine, yeah, when was the first time you were going from having like the full house of stuff to like literally one carry-on bag? That was the first leap I took. And it was an interesting experience. And then, yeah, after one week of packing and completing my Kuala Lumpur chapter, I left the country. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. 
that was easy. That was quick. And that was the best decision I've ever taken in my life. Well, it's amazing to me that you went from a full house of stuff down to carry on luggage, because to be very honest and transparent with you, I did not go with that direct of a transition. I went from a whole house full of stuff to a whole ginormous amount of luggage that I lugged around the world with me for an extended period of time. And it was outrageous with me trying to get giant suitcases, pulling them around, packing all kinds of stuff I had no business packing. And it actually took me probably at least a year of lugging that stuff around to say to myself, what on earth am I doing? And I'm going to figure out how to downsize this to carry on luggage only and never check a bag ever again. And that's, of course, what I've done. That's how I now roll. But it took me a while to figure it out. Uh, So I'm impressed that you were able to downsize the carry-on immediately and continue rolling that way. So props to you. (laughs) Thank you. It wasn't easy, but I did it. Good for you. Well, I also want to, I mean, and also props to Vlad, your relationship partner for inspiring you to uh, ask those questions and take that leap. That's really awesome. I would love to hear a little bit about your relationship dynamic because you guys have now been together for like three years. You and me and Vlad have hung out in a number of different countries around the world, Brazil being one of them, South Africa being another. But I would love to hear a little bit about, you know, just your three-year itinerant nomadic relationship and how that has worked, how you've made it work so well, and what tips you have for folks to find and maintain healthy, loving, long-term nomadic relationships in this lifestyle. I think it requires a lot of preparation to get to the stage when two of us actually met at those points in life when both him and myself was were ready to experience something like that. And for the context, we did move in to our first Airbnb on our first date in the country of Portugal, where he landed after like my text message in a couple of days later. So I wouldn't call it very typical relationships and very typical start. But I think why it worked well and why it is working now, because both of us experienced breakups and heartbreaks in our past relationships, which gave us a lot of experiences in understanding what is the most important thing. And the most important thing in my view to build the relationship is clear, honest, and vulnerable communication. And we kind of jumped right through the most vulnerable, the most honest and the deepest conversations right away. And I think that's what helped us to realize very quickly, either we were compatible or not. And I think that's the key lesson I'm taking to myself and sharing with others that if you're not ready to to open up right away, it's just going to take you a long time to figure out if this is your person or not. I just imagined the scenario where like we were in this deep conversations right away and If we were not compatible in terms of our values or our life vision, which we were discussing in our pretty much second date, we would quickly realize, okay, it's not going to work for us. So it will just like pathways. But because 
luckily, we were very similar in our aspirations and in our life vision and in our values. It just made it a really good, clean start. And I think that was the perfect base for, for the relationship. I love that. And then how about maintaining the healthy, loving relationship in a itinerant, nomadic lifestyle and what tips you have for that? Because it's very different from a regular dating relationship, right? Like if somebody if somebody lives in a city and you're dating a relationship partner, even if you eventually live together, right? Even if you move in together, usually it's people that are going off to do their own job at their own separate office. And then they come back in the evening and this kind of stuff. Whereas if you're a nomad and you're working remotely and you're traveling the world together and the amount of time around each other and everything else, I mean, like it's a very different dynamic in terms of that relationship, right? So can you talk a little bit about what you have found and tips that you may have, right? For people that find someone and fall in love with them and they want to do the nomadic lifestyle. You guys have been into this for three years now. You know, what has worked for you in terms of, the relationship dynamic in this lifestyle? Very good question, because spending 24-7 together is not a good idea. And we know that because of the pandemic, so many couples broke up because they were forced to spend so much time together in one space. So it's really important to put your boundaries and create the environment where both of us could still remain ourselves even though it's hard, like at some point you will think too much to alike. But what worked for us really well is having solo trips. So before COVID, uh, when borders were more open, we used to go on solo trips for one, two weeks. So have like this separation time when both of us do our things. And we also trying to practice solo days. So like at least one day a week, it's like complete solo day. Of course, we meet in the morning, we meet in the evening, but like the whole day it just belongs to yourself and you do what you want to do and you read what you want to read and you watch what you want to watch because otherwise it's always a conversation about choices and coming together to certain conclusions and decisions. So I think these are the key suggestions and hacks, I would say. And yeah, one of the examples I could give is that after spending three, four months in Yucatan in, in Mexico, uh, right before COVID hit, I took a solo trip to Guatemala. It was two weeks. I went to Ecstatic Dance Festival where Vlad would never go to because probably that's not his scene. And I was like, I just want to go for five days of dancing and near those volcanoes and meet new people and just flow on my own way. And I also want to do this amazing volcano hike with like a rafting live volcano near Antigua. And he was like, I want to go to Levintana and kite. I'm like, sweet. Okay, I'm taking my solo trip. Let's just do it. And that was very, very healthy for our relationship and generally for maintaining uh, personal balance and yeah, hitting my own bucket list goals. That's awesome. So I got to ask you how Guatemala was because I've never been there. I've been to Nicaragua, I've been to Costa Rica, but I've not yet been to Guatemala. How was the experience and the volcano experience in particular? I would recommend it to people who love nature. And I think Guatemala is a beautiful country. I did not spend there enough time because in my pace of travel, I prefer to stay a month or more in each city or in each location. So I would definitely go back to experience more of its presence and gifts and culture. And talking about the hike, I thought I'm a very fit person. 
And it was a 5,000 meter elevation, uh, which we were supposed to do within a stretch of about seven, seven, eight hours. And I'm like, okay, not a big deal. So in that travel agency, which was organizing the tour, they were asking if I would like to have a hiking stick. And I'm like, well, I know how to hike. I've been hiking volcanoes and mountains before. I've never done it with a stick. Why would I need a stick? They're like, well, just just take it. Just take it because why not? I'm like, okay, that's good. But I saw some people did not follow the advice. Uh, and they're like, no, I'm good enough. I'm, I'm not going to use the stick. And we were a group of about 20 people. Um, and that hike was the hardest thing I've done in my life. Because also I spent five days dancing on the festival. Remember that, right? So my legs were pretty sore already at that point. And then on top of that, those sticks helped me to survive the hike. So we got to the top of the mount when was our base camp. I was completely exhausted and tired. And then the guide asked us if we want to do another two-hour hike just to get to the very close look to the erupting volcano. And I was so tired, but I could not say no to this proposal. And we spent another two hours. I was coming to the sunset time to go to the volcano and see it erupting. This was the best, most fascinating, beautiful thing I've ever witnessed within nature. And I do not regret those sore legs or so much pain I experienced on the way back to our base camp because it was definitely worth it. So Matt, I advise you to go there and definitely do the hike because it's unforgettable. That's amazing. Super high on my list for sure. Would love to do that. So let me ask you a little bit more about your lifestyle design. Can you talk a little bit about how you structure your travel cadence and how you choose your destinations in this nomadic lifestyle? So I never plan the next destination. We always end up in a place and uh, start listening to the clues and to the tips and talk to locals and talk to other travelers. And whenever we hear another clue, like, for example, we were in the Yucatan uh, in Tulum Beach, kite surfing there. And one of the kite surfing instructors told us, oh, guys, have you been to La Ventana in Baja California? We're like, what is La Ventana? What is Baja California? He's like, oh, this is a very famous kite surfing spot. You should check it out. And that's how we ended up there right before the pandemic hit and spent like a magical one year of life and actually bought a car and like have accumulated lots of camping gear there and just completely fell in love with that destination. We wouldn't have known if that guy on the beach wouldn't tell us. So that's what I'm calling like not planning too much and always kind of listening to the clues. And another idea for the lifestyle design I love is constantly riding the hedonic wave. What that means is that the hedonic adaptation phenomena is the idea that we are pretty fast getting used to things which made us happy in the past. And to keep our level of happiness pumped, we could create the ways to ride this hedonic wave over and over again. And how to do it in terms of travel, we know that. So every time you come to a new place, your hedonic level, your level of happiness bumps up. And how I'm designing my experiences and travel lifestyle is that we always change the places. And I think staying in one spot for a couple of months is the way to do it. 
The second thing is always have an end date to the experience because this way you know, or like whenever you know the end date, like you will start appreciating things much more and like start enjoying like little things uh, in different way. But I think the most important hedonic wave surfing, how I call it, principle is to create and maintain deep connections with people whenever we go or online, because those things are super important. I'm pretty sure you know this Harvard study they've done that the thing which determined the longest living and the overall life happiness is actually the quality of your connections. And it's great to experience everything by yourself and have amazing things in life. But if you don't have somebody to share the experience with, you would definitely agree. It, it means less. It feels less of an experience. That's why I think traveling together and having people around us, friends who we share this experience, family we share this experience with, or new connections we make in new places, that was the most valuable thing to keep running the wave. I want to go a little bit deeper on that concept with you because I think it's super interesting, right? And I want to ask about things that seem to be potentially contradictory, right? About what you're saying about the importance of deep friendships, meaningful community, deep connections, and also being itinerant and only staying in one place for a couple months and then physically moving yourself to a place where the folks that were in your previous place are not going to be, right? So the traditional concepts of community that folks have, right, is a very sedentary concept of community. And I'm wondering if you can expand a little bit on this concept, right? Because I've heard you talk about this concept of the hedonic wave as a lifestyle, which you've described as not attaching to memories, but instead creating more adventures, more new places, you know, creating more new connections on an ongoing basis. And then how does that gel with this concept of of depth and community if you're itinerant and moving around? That's a great question because creating more memories, more connections, and more adventures should not come from the place of neediness. Like, oh, I need more of that to be happy, right? It's more of a lifestyle I choose because I like change places and I like experience different things. But if I'm looking at my social circle, um, there are lots of people who are coming in in every new place we go to. But at the same time, there's like lots of people who I keep maintaining my relationship with either online or offline, not in the past year, of course, because of COVID, but mostly online and virtually. And at the same time, whenever we're meeting new people, we are and I am trying to go deeper right away, kind of skipping the phase of, okay, let's be friends for one, two weeks, and then we'll see how that goes. No, like similar with the relationships of me and Vlad, just like, how can we foster the connection and like go deeper on the first friend's date or like on the, on the first friend's, uh, I don't know, cocktail hour or bar hour. 
of course, like learning to ask important questions and learning to be vulnerable in front of a stranger is actually a beautiful experience. I can't say I mastered it all. I'm still learning, but that's the doors to deep connection right away. Yeah, totally agree with that. That is really awesome. And I want to ask you as well to sort of build on this concept because you're very committed to building meaningful communities within an itinerant nomadic lifestyle and you co-founded CoLife Home. So can you talk a little bit about that project? I mean, describe what it is and then what brought it about and you know how that's gone. So CoLife Home emerged from my partner and I desire to connect with people deeper because we were lonely as a couple traveling and not being able to connect with people right away. Because as you perfectly noticed before, it's hard to keep meeting people and connecting with them when you stay in a place for like less than a month or so. And the best idea we could come up with is like, okay, what's the best way to get to know somebody? Live with them. <laughs> and that's how the idea emerged. So how about we start organizing co-living experiences, bring in an awesome bunch of people together, could be strangers, could be somebody we already kind of know and try and see how this one month uh, turns out. There are like few really good principles. First of all, you can tolerate anything and everybody for one month. So even if the person turns out to be not your best potential friend, you still can live and kind of coexist together for one month. Um, I'm speaking from the experience, right? Because there was no, like not everybody or like all the houses were like super wonderful and great because that's not true. And that's not reality of us meeting different people. Another thing, like how can we bring people who are in similar either stage in life or they have similar interests. That's how we came up with an idea of having a theme for a month and choosing people who want to join based on this theme. So we had a productivity month, for example, in Medellin, in Colombia, where uh, people before joining the house, they were asked the question, okay, what do you want to work on this month? How can you contribute and how can you support others? And everybody was working on certain projects. We were doing lots of hackathons. We were doing like really deep, deep work together. And another house we had, it was a creativity month, the one in Cape Town where Matthew visited us because it was pre-Africa burn experience. We were building saunas. We were creating costumes. We were painting with wine, drinking lots of wine and just like emerging ourselves in, in any cultural activities within that one month. So, and it was like a certain bunch of people who were interested in that sort of things and connections. So that was the idea. Like, let's create like one month experiences for people to get to know each other, facilitate connection exercises, facilitate deep dive into our lives and support each other eventually in whatever we do. That was the idea pre-COVID and then COVID hit and we stopped doing these things, but I hope we'll be back. Yeah, absolutely. And I did come over to your South African villa in Cape Town, and I actually recorded the Maverick Show interview with Lydia Baikalova from your villa. So we were looking out over the ocean and uh, talking about where we were and all that kind of stuff. So if anybody has not heard that interview yet, it was number 34, episode 34 of the Maverick Show. Uh, It was an amazing interview. And we talked about, you know, being in that villa in Cape Town. And Julia Shem was also in that villa as well, staying there, who Maverick Show listeners know. She was actually, I interviewed her episode number eight. I mean, she was one of the OG, super early Maverick Show guests. And she was in that house. So people will, will sort of understand the caliber 
of people that you're bringing together, you know, in these co-living experiences. So that's super amazing. I also, of course, we have to transition now to talk about the upcoming work travel summit that you are organizing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Maybe just sort of give the overview about what it is and also how it came about and why you are organizing it. So Work Travel Summit is a four days virtual event happening on June 9 to 12. And it's going to gather remote workers, digital professionals, entrepreneurs to discuss what the future of the world is going to look like. How does remote work trend influences our businesses, economies, our lifestyle, and what advantages we can take of it to move forward and live the most fulfilling lifestyle? The idea came from me observing how pandemic shifted the gears for the whole world. We've seen lots of people going from work in the office to work from home. And I think if 2020 was this like global experiment of everyone trying to work from home, I think 2021 is the year where more and more people will jump on a train of working from anywhere. And it's kind of familiar to us, right, Matt? We've been doing this for many, many years. But for so many people, it's a new reality. It's like a new eye-opening realization that, okay, I don't have to optimize my life anymore around office. I can actually choose where I can be, where I can live, where I can build my life, and what kind of lifestyle I can afford to have because now I'm working remotely. And I think because... It is one of the most transformational things in like modern human history in terms of like work and labor and how we treat work and how we view work. It just opens up so many opportunities for so many people. So I'm bringing together 70 speakers from different industries, different environments. I'm bringing experienced digital nomads. I'm bringing experienced uh, entrepreneurs who have been running businesses either in a full distributed way for years or who have successfully transitioned to being fully remote with their teams for the past one year to discuss how this trend and how pandemic changing our lives and what each of us as individual can take forward and how can we all take advantage of this new normal and build the life, build the communities and build the lifestyle of our dreams. So that's the story behind I love that. And this is going to be a big time event. You're expecting over a thousand people to attend this thing. You've got a lot of world-class speakers from all over the world that are going to be participating. Can you share a little bit about the topics and the categories that these panels are going to be structured into? What are sort of the different types of themes that people will learn if they attend the conference? Absolutely. So we have four main themes for the conference. Uh, It's four days, fully online Uh, Lots of networking opportunities and lots of abilities to meet like-minded people and entrepreneurs in the similar field as you are. So the topics we're going to be covering are the future of work and travel. We're going to look at the global analysis of where the pandemic brought us all today. What is the future of travel and travel recovery looks like? We are bringing representatives of a few governments to talk about newly launched digital remote workers visas which is like a huge global trend because I think soon enough countries will start competing for remote workers to be residing in their locations because why not? 
that's the future of global citizenship in the end of the day. Uh, we're going to be talking about how sharing economies are changing. What is the difference between remote and distributed teams as a mindset? And of course, we're going to look at the individual abilities and advantages of becoming a global citizen in reality. What does it mean to be a global citizen in a way of structuring your residences, in a way of structuring your taxes, in a way of registering your company in different places around the world and taking advantage of legal environment? We're going to be talking about global hiring um, from the company perspective. And if we're looking uh, down to, to individual level, we will have separate tracks on remote career. If you are interested in kickstarting your remote career or transitioning to work remotely full time, we're going to give you tips and workshops and uh, different experience. And we're going to bring different expertise from uh, speakers who've been doing that, who were helping to transition to remote careers. We're going to give you hiring tips and uh, making sure that you can walk away with practical advice on which kind of career you want to start, who can hire you remotely, and how to start living the lifestyle of being nomadic, which is going to be another block in the conference, because we're going to talk about experienced nomads, those who've been living this lifestyle for a while. We're going to talk about how to raise kids while being remotely, how to connect with local communities, how to find the communities while you start traveling, where you should go in the next several months, which countries are open up. And of course, we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship, remote entrepreneurship and how to be a nomadic entrepreneur, how to build your business or transition your business towards being fully remote and distributed. And that's where, Matt, you're going to be running an amazing panel, which I can't wait to hear more about. Let's let's give a little sneak peek for our listeners. Yeah, I am super excited. I mean, first of all, I was completely honored and flattered to be invited to participate in the conference. When I saw a lot of the other speakers that you had, it was it's really amazing to be among them. And uh, yeah, so I'm organizing a panel, which is going to be amazing. And the really cool thing is, I told you this, Victoria, I said I'm bringing all guests they're all my panelists are going to be guests from the Maverick show. So if you've been listening to the Maverick show, you're going to know all of them. So the panel is going to be about how to build a location independent company in a space that is not traditionally virtual, right? So my company, for example, and why I'm hosting this panel, right, is Maverick Investor Group. And what we do is we help people buy cash flowing rental properties as an investment in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere in the world, right? So we are a licensed real estate brokerage in the United States, and I run that company while traveling the world. I've lived in 65 countries or so over the last eight years. And people look at me and they're like, dude, how do you run a real estate brokerage while you're traveling the world, is that really something you can do virtually? Can you really do it remotely? Like you're telling me that the people that are buying these properties, they're buying cash flowing rental properties, and they're not, the people aren't even seeing them before they buy them. Like, how does that work? You own the brokerage, but you're not even residing in the country where the properties are located or traveling the world. How does that work? Like, how is that possible? So I've been talking about this for quite some time in terms of how I do this because people are interested. Like, how do you take a business that people think is not a virtual category? Like, they don't think it's possible to run it in a location-independent way. And then you just break it down and you explain how would you do this in a location-independent way? And one of the cool things about the Maverick show is that I've interviewed a number of guests on here that also run 
businesses in spaces that you're like, how in the world would you do that virtually? And we break it down, right? And talk about that on the show. So on this panel at the Work Travel Summit, uh, it's going to be myself. I'm going to be there with uh, Daraja Asili, who runs uh, Happy Trees Entertainment, which is a live events company. So pre-COVID, it was all in-person events. She was getting a hundred thousand paying customers per year attending her live in-person events and she's running it completely remotely like i i was in i spent a month with her in nairobi kenya all her events were in the u.s she was just in kenya by choice we hung out in nairobi for a month i did the interview the maverick show interview with her over a bottle of south african wine in nairobi and if you haven't heard that interview you definitely should it's episode number 13 of the maverick show so daraja is going to be on the panel talking about how she does what she does um jen mcgee is also going to be on the panel who has actually been on the maverick show twice the first time i interviewed her over a bottle of wine in prague and the second time actually was in cape town but she runs an architectural design company which has fortune 500 clients so she designs retail space for barnes and noble sharper image Saks off fifth avenue those caliber of clients she won an award for designing the duty-free shops at jfk airport in new york city her company and she does it and she travels the world. She's a full-time itinerant nomad. Like, I mean, she and I have been wine tasting in Bordeaux and going to speakeasies in Cape Town. And like, we, you know, we're gallivanting around the world, right? And she's running this architectural design business with Fortune 500 clients from all over the world. She's designed 10 million square feet of, of retail space, right? And she does it completely remotely. And then my third guest is Fadila Ahmed, who is absolutely amazing. She's born and raised in Nigeria. And she is now a full-time digital nomad, and she runs uh, Finage Express Limited, which is a trade facilitation and advisory company that operates in nine different countries. And it's just, I mean, it's unbelievable. She runs it as a full-time itinerant nomad and just, you know, travels the world and does her thing. You know, she's got, I think, 16 or so fully distributed staff, you know, that she manages while she's traveling the world in these different countries. And she's just crushing the game. I mean, she's absolutely amazing. So we're going to have all of these panelists, which run businesses in spaces that are not traditionally virtual and all of the panelists are in completely different industries. I mean, totally and entirely separate industries that have nothing to do with each other. And most people, when you tell them what you do, they would look at you and be like, how on earth can you possibly run that business and be traveling the world in remote while you do it? And we're going to break all that stuff down and talk about it on the panel. So that's what our panel is going to be about. And I'm super excited for it. I am so curious to hear their laugh hacks and work hacks, how they actually manage to transition. And I think that's going to be one of the most insightful panels, to be honest, because we know and we see how remote work is changing so many industries. People are doing things which they think they would never be able to do online, but things are shifting to to being fully remotely, right? So I'm curious what kind of ideas this is going to spark for attendees to, to think and move their businesses remotely. Why not? Yeah, I'm super excited. We're going to do a Q&A. I mean, these are some of the most brilliant entrepreneurs that I know, which is why I brought them on this panel. And they're doing really disruptive, cutting-edge stuff in terms of how they're building these businesses with location-independent infrastructures. And if you attend, you're going to be able to ask them questions live, right? Like, we'll have a Q&A. You'll be able to interact with the panelists, like all that kind of stuff. And I would encourage you, before you come, to check out their Maverick Show episodes. You'll have a little bit of background on them. I mentioned Diraj Asili was episode number 13. Jen McGee's been on twice 
movies. She was episode five and then episode 36. And then Fadila Ahmed was episode 110. So definitely check those out. And then, you know, feel free to come prepared with questions, check out the panel, and you'll be able to hang out with us and check it out. And I got to ask, Victoria, how does this conference work? How can people register? How can they attend? How much does it cost? You know, all of that. So the event is going to run fully virtual. So you can attend it from anywhere in the world, from the comfort of your home. We'll have a special event platform where you can register your profile, hang out with other speakers, hang out with other participants. We have a very cool AI matching system, which is going to link you to people you should definitely meet during the event, because we know that offline experience does not offer that. But thanks to technology, you can actually meet people with common interests right there. And uh, the general registration is free. So just go to worktravelsummit.com, secure your spot. And we have options to upgrade your ticket if you want to have all access pass or premium pass, which will include a mastermind, a business mastermind with other like-minded entrepreneurs or digital professionals based on your personal interests and challenges. We're going to create those intimate environment where you can solve your personal challenge and get like a massive value from that. So you can upgrade your ticket with a special, actually Maverick, 30% off code. So please do that. But anyway, show up, check out the panels, check out the talks, and it's going to be tons of value. It's four days. We're bringing amazing speakers and I can't wait to make it happen. We're like a few weeks away. Yeah, you've got some completely heavy hitter speakers that are coming that are going to be amazing. I'm super excited to attend all of the other panels and the Maverick Show panel is going to be super dope. So definitely check it out. I can't believe the whole conference is free. So you can literally just register and attend the whole conference and hear all these talks, including our panel for free. That's amazing. And then if you want to pay for the uh, Business Mastermind and other stuff, uh, you can get a discount using the Maverick Show code, which we're going to put in the show notes. So you can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com, go to the show notes for this episode, and there you'll see the link to register if you want the free registration. And then if you do want to pay for the extra stuff, we'll give you a discount code so you can get a discount off that. So that'll all be in one place in the show notes. And at this point, Victoria, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years you'd most recommend people check out? Please check out Craving Mind by Judson Brewer. Awesome. All right. What is one travel hack that you use that you can recommend to people? I don't drink coffee, but 24 hours before the next flight, it just helps to transition really, really well and keep myself more hydrated. Awesome. Who is one person currently alive today that you've never met that you would most love to have dinner with? Just you and that person for an evening of dinner and conversation. I have so many, but I'll go for dinner. No questions asked with Michelle Obama. (laughs) Awesome. All right. What is one piece of advice that you would give to your 18-year-old self if you could go back in time knowing everything that you know now? What would you say to 18-year-old Victoria? I would tell her to not be afraid to look silly or strange or ask questions which she thinks are too uncomfortable or too strange to hear. So just go ask any questions, look silly, be strange, be yourself. 
That's awesome. All right. Of all the places that you have been now, which I know is over 55 countries and certainly many places within those 55 countries, what are your top three favorite travel destinations you'd most recommend people check out? For my top three is Mauritius Lemoine. It's a beautiful kite surfing spot uh, on this tiny island. I would definitely check out Baja California. I cannot recommend it enough. It's wild and free. There is nobody and there's so many kilometers of empty beaches there. And Portugal would be my top three for uh, any cultural European experience. Wow, that's amazing. All right. What are your top three bucket list destinations? These are places you've never been, the highest on your list you'd most love to see. Australia. Iceland, and the North Pole. Wow. Amazing. That is awesome. All right, Victoria, I want you to let folks know how they can find you, how they can follow you on social media, connect with you, and let them know again how they can register for the Work Travel Summit and get involved with attending the conference. Go to worktravelsummit.com, register for free, and we will be in touch and we could connect during the conference as well. I'm reading every email. I'm reading every mention in our social media. So I'm super excited to grow this community of remote workers, entrepreneurs, digital professionals who are eager to look beyond today and see how the future is going to look like. And to connect with me, please follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn. Let me know your feedback about the podcast. I'm super happy to connect. And if you have any questions regarding any of the stories or destinations I've mentioned, please reach out. Uh, Really happy to interact and give more advice. And what is your Instagram handle? How do people find you? It's V-I-K-A Cares. Vika Cares. Vika is my short name for Victoria in Russia. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right. We're going to link all of that up in the show notes. You can just go to one place at themaverickshow.com. There we're going to have all of Victoria's contact information, her social media handles, the links for how to register for free for the Work Travel Summit, as well as your discount code if you want to pay and get involved in the mastermind stuff. But at least come hang out with us for free and check out the Maverick Show panel because it's going to be amazing. We'll put it all at themaverickshow.com in the show notes. Victoria, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Matt. I had so much fun. Thank you. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.